This is Emmanuel. And this is Will Hungerford. And you are listening to Feel the Fire. <laughs> All right. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Feel the Fire. As you heard in the intro, joining me this week is a very special guest, the one, the only, William Hungerford. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Uh, this is episode five of the show, right? This is. That's awesome. I'm getting I'm getting in early, man, so that people that start listening to it will we'll get to hear all about the cool Riot Quest stuff we're talking about today. Um, for anyone who is unfamiliar, um, I am the lead developer at Privateer Press. I have been with the company for a decade now. Uh, a lot of people know me from the five-year stint I did running the press gang and all the volunteer forces, but I moved into running the organized play kind of during that and then strictly to organized play then organized play and game development, and now uh, lead developer on all organized play and uh, current lead developer on all War Machine and Hordes and lead developer in design on all things Riot Quest. He also usurped the throne and killed Yugi Moto to become king of games, anybody who's not aware. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, 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 don't, uh, I don't agree to that statement. I don't know that I did that. Well, I just added that to the end of your title, and I will be your assassin today. Okay, I'm into it. Um, I'm actually overjoyed to have you on Field of Fire. Um, it kind of reminds me back in the days when I had RFP with Charles, and we were doing a lot more general open content, and we had you on, and it was such a riot. Mm, nice. Um, that I couldn't not have you on Field of Fire. Um and this is a podcast that I definitely wanted to be able to um, spread out a little bit more and beyond just like, you know, this is how you play War Machine. You know, we've done fluff dive episodes. We're gonna, um, I've got a episode scheduled with a captain from the um, army who's going to talk real world tactics and how it applies to war games. Great. And so, um, but this episode's near and dear to my heart because I have recently come over to the Riot Quest bubble and. Oh, man, am I excited. Yeah. Um, Are you having fun with it? Well, you know, funny story. I had no intention to play your game well. Sorry. Uh, I spent okay. too much time playing War Machine. Um, but I have spent, you know, the last decade basically podcasting and writing articles and being immersed into War Machine so much that um, the idea of another game just didn't even appeal to me. I didn't have the time for it. I just I didn't understand, like, why do other people play games? Sure. Um, for fun, right? And then Black Friday rolls around, and I went out to GamesU in Phoenix, and I noticed that they had a ton of Riot Quest stuff. And I originally gone there for just to get Gorman the Mad. I was like, I'm going to add him to my Durst list. He's so sexy. Um, and then I was like, well, if I'm getting one model, I might as well just get them all. Um, Nailed and, it. Yeah. That's <laughs> the way to dive in anything, right? Yeah. Um, I, I remember sitting there at, on the floor of Games U and, like, flipping through the cards in War Room trying to find, like, I was, should I buy, like, one more? Should I get two more? There's got to be something else in here I really like. And I was like, you know what? These models are just sweet. Like, let me get the starter box. Um, I got, like, ten heroes plus the Jamis that came with the Privateer Press art book yeah. and the fancy gold card I got. Um, so I already kind of, like, had a hook in anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took it home and I played it with my wife and daughter and it was an absolute blast. I like was instantly hooked. My family loved it. They had a good time. Um, we had fun building them, painting the models together cause they were really easy. And for the first time, I think 
I don't, I don't know, since I was a teenager, did I find a board game where I was like, I want to play this, this is a ton of fun, and because the models cross over to Riot Quest, it gives me an excuse to buy more models. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, that's the thing about Riot Quest. It's, it's interesting in that we haven't really done a game like this before, which is a very casual, very board game-esque hobby miniatures game. I mean, Monpoc is a, a board game-esque miniatures uh, hobby game, but it is it is definitely competitive, right? You mm-hmm. can head-to-head. Um, and it, it's got a little bit more crunch, and I love Monster Apocalypse for that. I love that I can take the same space as I would for Riot Quest and play a, a 1v1 you know, tight game against someone where one person outwits the other one, and, and we can do that. And then Monster Apocalypse is also just giant kaiju blowing stuff up. <laughs> but Riot definitely. we've been seeing so many people playing with their families. We've been seeing so many people introduce their kids to playing it. We've been seeing people playing at cons in between larger games because it doesn't take up very much space. People playing mm-hmm. in the airport while they're waiting. And that's one of the things we were looking to do was make a game that you could throw down. You just got the models you liked. You didn't feel that you had to keep up with every release. There's no factions that you had to always be sort of chasing. You just grabbed the models you thought looked cool, the heroes that you gravitated towards, and you picked it up and you played, and a 1v1 game is maybe 30 minutes, and a four-player free-for-all is like at its most like an hour. And that's like if everyone's really taking their time. And go ahead. Yeah, definitely. That's my, one of the things my wife liked about it, too. And the fact that it fits on a normal-sized dinner table. Like, we don't have to have get out the 4x4s. We can just, like, throw it down and play a quick game anywhere. Yeah, and... The game is very easy to learn, and the rules are never overwhelming, and a lot of that is by design. Um, one thing I did into the design of this game is the game has no memory. And what I mean by that is um, a continuous effect in War Machine is memory. That is a thing that stays on, an upkeep effect, mm-hmm. memory, an eff- any effect in the game that says, this lasts for one round, this lasts for one turn. That's memory. In Riot Quest... Say that you weren't paying attention to the game and all of a sudden it came around to your turn and you looked around. You could literally look at every card in play and know exactly what was happening. You don't have to know Mm. the turns before. You don't have to know what's necessarily happening on the turns after. It is an always like immediate game state game where you can just look and go, I know what's happening. And that makes it very easy for more casual gamers, it makes it very easy for kids because at any point they can just see what's happening, read the two current bounties, and by keeping the rules per model to three, every hero has three rules. That's kind of a, a, a hard design rule. Mm. It makes grabbing a new model and learning how to play them super simple. So the game came out, and there were some people interested in it, and then as more and more people play the game, its popularity is continuing to grow and grow, and we hear people say the same thing. They either jumped in and loved it, they showed their friends who didn't know about it and loved it, mm-hmm. like you said, you weren't necessarily interested in playing it because you had enough stuff going on, then you gave it a shot and you were like, holy hell, this game is fun, mm-hmm. and I can play with my kids, my wife, my husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, or casual gamers who only play you know, more, more casual board games, and introduce them to a little bit of what I do in, in more Machine and Hordes, and it's working out great so far. Definitely. You know, it's been a fun way to break the ice with my competitive gamer friends, too, because when I have them over for a barbecue or something, it's real easy to slip into, let's all talk about War Machine and sit around the War Machine table all night. Sure. And uh, the last time I had a barbecue, I busted out Riot Quest, and I was like, let me show you this game. 
And suddenly it became about having fun and like it's a very different dynamic, but it can still scratch the itch of even the most like competitive minds. Because even with all the simple layers from the beginning to the end of the turn, you have no idea what's going to happen. Like you can completely change the flow and trying to predict that is really difficult. Um, But it's one of the fun elements of the game is that anything can happen. Yeah, the, the aspect of the game, the player agency in the game is when it is your turn to activate your model, you have to do, you have to make the best decisions you can with the immediate situation to try and score some points because two or three turns later, you have no idea what the situation is going to be. I like to say that the game is controlled chaos. There are things outside of your control. There is the RNG occurring, and that's just going to land whichever way it does. Your job is to to look at what is currently happening and just do what you can to get just slightly ahead, just get a few more points. And if you're lucky, maybe even set something up for a later turn. But just, you know, if you're a person that tilts when things go bad, Riot Quest may not be the game for you because you just got to take it on the chin sometimes. You're like, oh man, I had that set up and then X, Y, and Z just randomly happened. And now (laughs) I have to reassess. And it's a game Mm -hmm. about reassessing. It's, It's where am I and what can I do? Absolutely. Um, So it sounds like we're kind of getting into the beginning of what Riot Quest is. But before we move into that, I want to do a fluff spotlight and I want to dive into the background of Riot Quest a little bit. Whatever you can tell me, because um, I think that this is a really interesting timeline. When you first pitched it um, on the dev chats, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Like, even if I don't dive into Riot Quest itself, the timeline and the concept, like, humanity loses, the souls all go away, mm-hmm. it's bad times, let's loot some stuff. I was like, this is awesome. So tell me more, Will. Sure. So for people that don't know, basically, you have the main War Machine canonical storyline that we've followed for years, and then Riot Quest is a split timeline. The idea is that the infernal invasion that's happening right now, we lose. Everyone loses the worst possible way. The infernal's declaiming happens. They get the souls and they leave, leaving the entire world as this just smoldering wreck. So the people that survived were either incredibly strong, incredibly cunning, or incredibly lucky. Uh, and they sort of crawl back out of the, the, the wreckage and they look around at this world where the nations are gone. Kingdoms are gone, you know, and they're like, at first it's about just survival. You know, we need food, we need water. And then once that kind of gets locked down, it's like, well, there's all this stuff. There's all these things laying around that were used to be guarded, things inside King's vaults that had, you know, royal guard around it and, you know, military surpluses that used to have armies uh, protecting them. And that's all gone. This stuff's just laying there waiting for someone to go get it. And whoever can go get this stuff is going to be stronger in this post-apocalyptic setting. So people start banding together into scavenger crews to go run about and hit areas like the Thunderstone Fortress or the Hole Grinder and just grab as much stuff as they possibly can. But the setting is also slightly in the future versus the normal timeline because the technology has advanced a little bit where people have been building stuff out of the stuff that they found. That's why you see like Helga on a motorcycle. And that's why you see a little bit of like this <laughs> weird quasi sci-fi heck in all the yes. equip. And then on top of that, every character that we release reveals another little hint and tidbit at what happened. Um, 
so the the last layer, the, the cherry on the top, is that the approach of the game is that if you were enjoying this and it wasn't a game, if you were if you were enjoying War Machine, War Machine would be a series of epic movies if it wasn't a game, right? You'd be like Lord of the Rings. You'd go to the movie Definitely. theater. You'd watch, you'd watch War Machine. Uh, and if you were enjoying Monster Apocalypse, it would be the, the big action movie, and you'd probably have a TV series. If you were watching Riot Quest, Riot Quest would come on Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. and it would be animated. <laughs> it would last for 30 minutes and there would be seasons with like 56 episodes. And you would go get the action figures at your local like Toys R Us. I love it. So there is definitely a – instead of the, the post-apocalyptic being this, this scary, dark, evil place, we decided to go Saturday morning apocalypse with it and go weird. Go weird apocalypse. Yeah. And you see that in the designs of all the characters. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we have a good guy team and a bad guy team. And if this was the Saturday morning cartoon, these are the characters that would show up on every episode. This would be your He-Man and your Skeletor, right? Right. The good guy team is the people in the starter box and Widget. So you'd have Dreyfus, Bamfist, uh, Govan, Eris. Uh, my brain just went. Uh, Daz. I just went brain dead mm-hmm. for a second. And uh, and Widget, they would be in every single episode. You'd see them all the time. They're they're your good guys. And then the the bad guys always trying to foil them would be Boomhaller, James Harlow, Gorman, and Black Bella. So, Boomhaller. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're a bad guy. Boomhaller's the main bad guy. The two main bad guys are Eris and Boomhaller. What? And Boomhaller is Skeletor. No way. That's awesome. Yeah. Every other hero is the. Think when you watched all He-Man cartoons, it's either the villain of the week or the the neutral character cameo mm-hmm. of the week or like the hero, the plucky hero that helps him out. So like Flubbin, Govan Sisters, obviously <laughs> a good person that shows up. Captain Crawtooth is sort of like uh, maybe good, maybe bad. I get sort of a, a I love Captain Crawtooth. Yeah, you've got a real like like he might like the first time he shows up, obviously he tries to eat the, the good guys, but then later like they sway him to a side, he ends up helping them one time, and then next time like he's a force of nature, you never never know. Uh Chuck Dogwood, you never know what the because he's insane. And then you <laughs> obvious other villains like the terrorizer, the waste. Yes. Uh and for people that follow the, the the little bits of fluff, which you can find in like the model descriptions and the solicitations, you learn a little bit more of the world piece by piece by piece. Mm-hmm. Like the only two people that have crossed the Stormlands since the apocalypse thus far have been the Terrorizer and the Wastelander. And in the solicitations, it mentions they're the only people that have escaped the void-cursed ruins of the Scorn Empire. Mm. So that asks a question like, what the hell happened to the Scorn Empire? Valid uh, question. I know you're a huge Legion fan, and thus far yeah. we haven't seen any traditional Legion models until the Mechano Shredder came out. And so yes. – Everyone's like, where are the dragons? Like, where did they go? And then the first sign people see of them is this little wind-up toy mechano shredder that people, like, feed scrap, and it helps them out. And they're like, where are those guys, and what are they up to? And as we keep doing Riot Quest, and we've got it planned for a while, you're going to learn a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. Nice. I see the wind-up shredder, like, in the Saturday morning cartoons, there's always some, like, little animated thing that comes out, and you're like, oh, how cute, and then there's a giant monster in the shadows waiting right behind. Yeah. I'm just hoping that's the case here. Um, And, you know, learning that Boomhaller was a villain is a revelation I'm just now finding out. So I kind of see him now as this, like, Kingpin Wilson Fisk character, like, cigar in his mouth, like, all right, boys, let's get him. 
Yeah, he's so in the next, there's a new starter coming out at Gen Con, which is going to be a bad guy starter for the, the next block of models. Nice. Because the game is being released in blocks. Every block lasts from Gen Con to Gen Con. Every Gen Con, okay. you starter, and each block is thematic. So this first block is called the Mayhem block, and it's just sort of the, the core block of Riot Quest. Mm-hmm. The next one is called Wintertime Wasteland. And so from Gen Con 2020 to Gen Con 2021 will all be the Wintertime Wasteland block, which is all sort of like nuclear winter fallout. Is the, the Sick. Then we'll do another block. And eventually the organized play will have two modes when you go play which is uh, legacy kind of mega it's called mayhem means play with anything you've ever owned Mm -hmm. Uh, and then standard which will be current blocks so that somebody jumping into riot quest in say 2021 doesn't have to try and find models from 2018 2019 we're going to keep it fresh and keep it moving and developmentally that'll help us also um uh we'll be able to reprint a few things we want to reprint but what it means for the storyline is you get to explore different parts of the world, and there's going to be recurring characters. So I can tell you that in the new starter, the bad guy starter, we're going to see the next Boomhaller. So in Warchin of Hearts, it'll be Boomhaller 3, but his name's Boomhaller the Destroyer. Oh, snap! Uh, and uh, I'll go ahead and and spoil this on the show. It's <sighs> Boomhaller wearing, like, super heavy armor that he's sort of made from... It's it, Basically, it's he kind of had some good runs in the previous season. So he's built like makeshift bolted together, like plate armor. That he Hell yes. But he's not, he's dropped his guns. He's double handed wielding a juggernaut's ice ax. What? Yeah. Oh, nerd boner. Yeah. So he is a, a wrecking ball in melee. That sounds so awesome. I am super excited for that. I'm really excited for blocks in general. Like, I remember when you first announced blocks on the War Machine and Hordes Riot Quest general page that we have, yeah. and my jaw hit the floor because the concept that there would be almost this like Magic the Gathering, and you mentioned Legacy, and like it, it, it's such a great analogy to have current blocks where we can go, this is all I have to worry about, let's jump in and play, anybody who wants to play can come and jump in and play, and having thematic blocks is just fun, I just really like the idea, I think you hit the nail on the head on exactly what I wanted to play, Will, so thank you for making a game just for me. You're welcome, anytime. Uh, speaking of making games, let's take a development dive, um, I want to talk about developing Riot Quest, where did the idea originally come from? So the idea originally came from Matt, uh, Matt wanted to make a a very casual board game with hobby miniatures and he wanted it to be a game that fit into, he, he had like a sort of a, a, an early version that he, he introduced and, and was kind of giving the bullet points of what he wanted out of the game in terms of like uh, the skill level required of a player to be able to understand the game and play it well, um, what the skill cap was on the game, how easy it was to pick up and play the feel and flow of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just had sort of the notes he wanted us to hit. And I saw this uh, early version and I said, let me take the ball and, and run with it. And I, I pitched him a bunch of ideas and he loved them. Nice. And so he put me in charge of Riot Quest. And so I had the the things I was locked into for Matt's vision of the game that he wanted it to achieve. And then I just me and him would sit down and have these creative sessions where I'd be like, let's do this, this, and this. And he'd be like, oh, cool. Let's do this, this, this. And we'd go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it just organically grew. And then, you know, uh, 
Yeah, and, and Matt is he's super creative and he's he's really mm-hmm. at providing guidance and he's also really good at letting us take the ball and run with it when we need to. And eventually nice. he just gave me the ball and let me run with it and you see the 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 product we got to today. A special thank you to Matt Wilson for that because we got an awesome game out of it. We got to crack your head open and like pour it out on a table. Yeah, we get. I'm I'm a weird dude, and weird things pop out of my head. I love it. I yeah. love it. That's why I love you, Will. Um, so what early challenges or obstacles did you have to overcome to make this game? Sure. The original version didn't. So the original version that first came out was just you killed guys and got points, and once you you got X number of points, you you won the game. And mm. we had to come up with a way that you actually played the game and made it more interesting and made it feel thematic. It was missing the thematic sauce. And that's where I came up with the bounty system of the idea of the deck where you always had two active goals. Those goals could affect the arena. They could put tokens in the play that you had to interact with certain ways, or maybe you had to interact with another player in a certain way, and that you shuffled the deck and that two of these were always up. So that as one person scored one out of a public market, the next one popped up. And what that created was... um, just a, a constantly flowing set of win conditions that were random every time you played. And what I wanted it to do was create that sensation of that just because I'm losing now, there might be a complete change in the arena that helps me helps me come back or mm-hmm. we know what's coming. So you got to stay on your toes and at the same time, create a lot of replay value. Um, so the game was, I think, more in, in the early days, traditional, just kill the kill the other team game. Mm-hmm. And coming up with the way to move it from that into the more objective based game and then tweaking that to where we got mm. to the point and the right balance of it was, was early on. That's awesome. You know, I know for my family too, the fact that there was this deck that was also familiar, like once you've played it a few times, you kind of know what to expect. Like it's chaos, but defined. And yeah. so it didn't feel like there was a sense of hopelessness. Like I'm just going to get lost in this game. At some point there's going to be another card flip that I just don't understand. Like you yeah. can stay very focused and on task and play really quickly. Like there's the back and forth almost feels chess. Like when you're playing with another experienced player and making all these elements. Uh, one thing I definitely knew I wanted to do was make it completely modular so that any crew of mm-hmm. mobs could play with any bounty deck could play with any treasure deck could play with any map and that all nice. this was fully modular to where you could take any bounty deck you own and any of it, just swap it all around and, and be able to be good to go. And that still to this day, as I'm making new bounty decks and new treasure cards, I have to look at everything else that's existed before and just make sure we're not hitting any weird hiccups. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of that balance is always one of the biggest challenges. What challenges lie ahead? So I approach hero design in this game is in a uh, a MOBA sense. Um, I play a fair amount of MOBAs, Legends, Hero of the Storm, Dota, and a lot of the reason that heroes have their stats and then three abilities is that feels very MOBA-esque to me in that you have different heroes in those games that have their like base stats of like damage, health, and armor, and then they have, like, they have like four abilities, right? They've got like QWER, and, that's, mm-hmm. and then sometimes they'll have a little bit more. And I was like, there's a lot you can do with that. There's a lot you can do with just three abilities. So the challenge has always been that we were going to have these six classes, and each class had to feel like what it was. Fighters were melee DPS. Gunners were ranged DPS. Specialists were support. So on and so forth. And it is inevitable 
that some models will be the best in their class, but we want, what I want is every model in each class to feel different and to be viable on your team. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say that it's every, every fighter will be perfectly even. That's just not gonna happen. But I don't want, <laughs> this is the only fighter you ever take and this is a fighter you never touch. And part of that is like, with only three abilities of text, how different can you make two people that are both melee DPS feel? And the answer is, when you start getting weird with it, you can go pretty far. And Definitely. I haven't run into an issue yet. I'd say maybe when there's like 250 heroes out, <laughs> I have to start worrying a little bit. But right now, we've been able to pretty much still keep it going fresh. Absolutely. And one of the cool things about games like this, even fighting games do this a lot, right, is they'll take something that you have seen and they'll put a cooler package on it and be like, no, you want it again. And yeah. um, there are a lot of you're right. There will be a threshold at some point where there'll be so many models in the game that doing something drastically different will be really difficult. But even sometimes you're like, OK, let's take Crawltooth's pull and then let's take something from Gubbin and put it together. Now we've got a whole new character. <laughs> That's one of the reasons the block the block system is going to be introduced is because yeah. especially, especially for gear cards, um, I will need to reprint a few of those because some of them are just so core to what the game like they're just they're just too mm -hmm. too basic too uh, core level gear to not reprint and then some heroes will just need to you know, four years down the road I'm probably gonna have to make another fighter that's pretty similar to Bella at some yeah. point, right. Well, and even, like, reintroducing Bella into the block, because Magic does that all the time with standard cards and their standard blocks. They'll say, hey, you know it, you love it, you've played with it, you've got 1,900 in your collection, but it's standard, so you'll buy it again. But it's different with minis, because um, you'll still have the model. So it's like, oh, Bella's standard again, sweet. And there'll be new versions. There is a new version of Bella in the next starter, Stone Cold Black Bella. So. Awesome. And I will say that new versions of characters change classes. So just because just Bella was a fighter, like Black Bella, the Duchess of Dread, is a fighter, and Boomhaller's solo artist is a gunner, don't think that Boomhaller in heavy armor with a, a Juggernaut's ice axe is a gunner. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. The most epic axe thrower ever. <laughs> that, is, that is definitely not the case here. <laughs> well, you know... I think you have some really interesting designs in Riot Quest. Did you pull any design elements from other fantasy books or lore or movies or legends or anything like that that you just loved and couldn't resist? I think it's inevitable. Anyone who, who does anything creative, uh, you are inspired by the things you like. Definitely. And while you always don't want to plagiarize, obviously, it's, it's fun to pay homage to. And then sometimes you just see something and you're like, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool if we could do it this way instead? I mean – so recently on today's dev chat, we recorded February 12th. Um, we were talking about the gear expansion that's coming up. And the gear expansion is a bunch of models and gear cards that put uh, actual gear models into play, like a turret you can deploy that will auto fire and then your heroes can walk away from it. Or a surgery nice. table. Yeah, like a surgery table you drop that blocks bare, it blocks spaces and anyone can run up and use it and it heals you. But if an enemy uses it, uh, basically the people that didn't put it down, uh, it might kill them instead because it's not attuned to them. <laughs> but one of the ones we put in there is a pair of wormholes. Uh, and what they do is you drop two of them down, and when you move or shoot a weapon or anything, you count those two spaces as adjacent to each other, even when they're like five or six spaces apart. So you can like shoot a <laughs> rocket through one and have it pop out the other, or walk through one, or have yes. to drag someone out of one through the other. When so you, good. 
when you look at the gear card for it, it's a big 50s-style TV remote with a big blue button and a big <laughs> orange button. And I think anybody who knows anything about video games in the last decade probably knows where the inspiration for part of that came from. Oh, man, the smile on my face is ear to ear. Well, thank you. That's so awesome. So, yeah, I, I would say definitely inspiration, but at the same time, we try to do as much new freshness as we can to be the ones hopefully inspiring others. Nice, and I like that attitude. Speaking of doing something different, and you kind of talked, you touched on it just ever so lightly with dropping things and blocking squares, what made you choose a hexagonal map over other types of boards? Uh, ease of play. Uh, so square maps require, typically, in most, most board games I've experienced, where you're either playing skirmish or you're playing a dungeon crawler, <clears throat> and I play a lot of those kind of games, Mm-hmm. Square, square maps almost always require either you can only move X number of diagonals a turn or mm-hmm. something like this is how cover works when you move across a barrier space. Like if there's a, a you know, this block, this uh, square is not available. Can you move cat a corner? Things like that. Mm-hmm. And to keep this game flowing and keep it casual and keep it very, very simple in terms of movement. I am a huge fan of hex spaces for that reason, because it's super easy to see. Can I move here? Can I not? There's no discussion and there's no worry about diagonals. When it's hexes, it just <clears throat> it makes everything flow a lot easier. I think if you want a crunchier game, if you want a game where like corner cover matters, where line of sight matters, where you do want to limit movement to more linear vectors, mm-hmm. squares are the way to go. Uh, but for, for ease of flow, I think hexes will beat squares every day. And I will say that there were some Long debates internally because the, the original version of the game was squares and there was definitely team square between team hex internally. And I'm very happy and biased, but uh, happy <laughs> that uh, team hex won in the end. You know, I'm pretty happy that Team Hex won in the end, too. It's a very efficient use of space, and you're right. It does kind of eliminate some of those weird, like, okay, if I'm moving in this direction, if I'm shooting in this direction, does this weird, like, angle just suddenly upset the board state? I've never once in the game found that the Hex map to be not only an impediment, but just to be simple enough that you can just keep playing. Like, it's not a hindrance to play on that board. Yeah, I mean, and I would, like I said, I've just played so many games with Hexes that I love, so I... It was a no-brainer for me. Nice. Um, have you considered making a larger board, something like bigger party raid size? Because, I, I mean, that's why I, lo- I love war games. I like to play with all my toys all at once. So we, so our second map's coming out, and one thing when it comes to map creation is the maps will not always be the same size. Absolutely not. And they'll definitely not be the same layout. Nice. You know, the first map is the big Thunderstone Fortress. The second map is a pair of pirate ships that are connected by gangplanks. And you have a bunch of spaces you can't move into in the water in the middle. So you've got these two segregated arenas and then three points of entry. The third map, the Temple Concord, coming out in May, is like an RPG dungeon. It's got three unique levels that you have ladders and stairs and chutes that you have to go up and down levels to go between. Um so absolutely, we're going to play around with the shape, the orientation, the size. Like nothing's off limit. I will say the starter box maps, like when the next starter comes out and all future starters, will almost always be that sort of octagon. Uh, octagon? No, I can't even say the word. Like an octagon. Uh, uh, big arena because it's a starter map. We want it to be big open space and you don't have to worry about the weirdness. Um, but yeah, I, I want to do... I want to do a lot of really weird stuff with the maps. And you talked about boss fights. That is the one of the last expansions coming out in the Mayhem block. And there will be one every block. It's a season finale. 
there will be a boss expansion, which introduces a co-op mode where you and your friends fight against, and it comes with a big model. Very nice. You fight against the boss fight together, but the boss model you, you get, you know, he'll have his boss stats and his boss deck for playing the co-op mode, but then there'll also be a regular hero card and gear cards for that boss that you can just play them, you know, an obviously powered down non-superpower boss version as just a hero in your crew. So you get double usage out of that model. And nice. it also works in War Machine and Horde, so it's like triple value. Yeah. Yeah. I sure. love big models, so you, you sold me. I'm going to get it. It's it's going to be crazy. And I can't – it's way too early to say, but I will say the, the Wintertime Wasteland, which the next block is all about Kador, Rule, and the Frozen North. And we all know what's mm. up. I cannot wait for the boss model in the next season. It's going to blow people's minds. So excited. Yeah. Edge of my seat, Will. <laughs> oh, man. See, you're getting me off track now. I'm sitting here fantasizing about models instead of reading what's on the docket. Um, <laughs> so what is your favorite element of Riot Quest that you had a hand in? The, the game. I, I mean, they, I, I, I was given the clay and mm. got to, to, to shape the pottery. And I, it is the first game, like there's the, the, the games I did in no quarter games where that was handed the ball and got to do this from start to finish. Right. Like mm-hmm. also wrestling decorators, things like that. Um, and then prior to that, you know, I was just helping with war machine and hordes and just, you know, uh, coming up with ideas, pitching, pitching this and that, but it wasn't mm-hmm. the thing that I had got to do from like the ground level. And Riot Quest was something I got to do from the ground level. And so I just affected every aspect of it. And and there's too much to say. Like, I, I worked on so many parts of it that mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of like my first baby. So I can't I can't pick a favorite part. I just love it all. That's exciting. I remember hearing you talk about, um, I think it was Helgon Wheels and Fiora 4, where you were like, first time I ever had a blank slate, like for something brand new to just be like, you know what, Warcaster, go. It was, um, it, it was the first time I had a blank slate on casters. Yeah. A lot of, the, so the reason I got moved over, one of the reasons I got moved over into lead development on War Machine and Hordes as well, um, is that I was writing all the War Machine and Hordes rules for all the Riot Quest models because they were happy with the job I was doing there and I had a lot of ideas of things to do with War Machine Hordes and what to do with dynamic updates and what to do with new models and new model blocks for War Machine, they put me as lead development of War Machine and Hordes right now. So it kind of made sense because they're so... Riot Quest is feeding into War Machine. Mm -hmm. Just made sense. Uh, But yeah, like, yeah, being able to do casters from Blank blank Slate was super fun. But I think, like... God, I'm trying to figure out what the first model... I just wrote blank slate as I can't actually remember. I think it was a Riot Quest model. I might have done one before, like just randomly for Machine Hordes back in the day, but I think it was one of the RQ solos. I just don't remember off the top of my head. Well, speaking of Riot Quest heroes, what were your three favorite to create? Oh, Leadfoot and Treads. Oh, Hel- yeah. Helga on Wheels. Mm. And, oh, man. We're talking conceptually? It, you know, it's up to you. I just like to pick your brain. I'm going to go with, okay, Helga on Wheels and Leadfoot and Treads, definitely. And I think it's going to be the Terrorizer as number three. Really? Nice. Because he was the first one that gave a hint to what was happening to Scorn. And so when I was pitching the idea, 
because every every hero and everything that comes out in Riot Quest, it's not like I just do it. Like I mm-hmm. sing to Matt, and Matt either gives me back a green light and I'm good to go, or he comes back to me with some ideas we tweak, and then we're good to go. Or uh, in a few instances, he's been like, I don't think this works, and then we don't do it. Mm-hmm. So with Terrorizer, I was like, okay, here's my idea of kind of what's happening with Scorn, and then I was like, what I want to do is an agonizer that got away. And yes. Are their growth is stunted by the pain givers, but what mm-hmm. happens if they stop being tended to? They're not necessarily going to grow up into a full titan because they've already had that damage done to them. But if the, if the flesh hooks get taken out and they're let free, what happens? And I was like, I imagine he's just really pissed off. <laughs> and then yeah. I was like, now let's take him and let's do one that let's push the, the Saturday morning aspect of it and let's do him a little bit older. So he's a little bit bigger. So let's say he's a little bit more of a teenager. Uh, and they're, they're already kind of weird little mutants. Uh, and I was like, so let's make a teenage mutant agonizer, you know. And then I was like, let's give a bunch of weapons like a samurai or a ninja, you know, maybe like yeah. an agonizer, you know, ninja. Uh, and that's why he has the four different weapons and he's all angry. And then when we were doing the weapons, I was like, well, he needs a, he needs a Praetorian sword. I want him to have something scorn. And I want to have a pair of guns. And I was like, I was talking to Matt. I was like, I want to give him Morgul's Ripper. Uh, <laughs> We talked about what that would mean and what was going on with it, and then it got greenlit, and I was like, I am so happy with how this little dude turned out. Nice. Teenage Mutant Ninja Agonizer. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I have to say, it's one of my favorite models that you had come out conceptually because of the rules in War Machine. When I found out that it was one of Rasheth's baby agonizers that carried his fat ass around, and it was like, enough is enough. (laughs) I'm not carrying you anymore, fat man. I'm out. Well, it's and more- it has animosity. Yeah, it has animosity, Rochelle. <laughs> so good. It's, oh, man. It's more like something happened to, you know, everything in Scorn, and he just got away from Rochelle. So we don't know if Rochelle's alive, if he's dead. Uh, people will find that out later, too. I laughed so hard when I saw that rule. I nearly came into tears from that. It was just so good. Yeah. Um. So... Who was your favorite hero in the playtesting arena? Right now it's the boss, um, which I can't talk too much about the boss yet. It hasn't been mm-hmm. being able to create the co-op mode and everything entailed with that, which which very fundamentally changes the way you play the game because it's all of us versus one model. Mm-hmm. There's no bounty deck anymore. The bounty deck gets swapped out for the boss deck, and the boss deck grows and changes like the bounty deck would that is the boss doing different things every turn, kind of based on what the players are doing. And then awesome. the boss is trying to earn scrap by killing players. So the boss wins by getting the seven <laughs> points and you win by killing the boss. Mm. Uh, so the, it's like the, t- the roles get reversed, but then taking everything they were doing in their boss mode and then condensing that down into a normal hero that we could play in, in, in non boss games and making it still feel right there's a lot of really cool and weird stuff that that hero is going to do, even if you ignore all the boss rules. Mm-hmm. We're having a lot of fun with with what it does. That's awesome. You know, I I saw a meme recently where it was like the boss, and it has a guy with like nine thousand Nerf guns all bolted together, and then it's like the boss when he becomes a playable character, and he's holding like a single pistol Nerf gun. It is. And yep. <laughs> I like that, though. I mean, like, it, there, it's kind of very video game-esque in that feel, and you shouldn't be able to play with the really broken boss character. I'm sorry. I mean, you should, but not in that uh, way. And if you want to, then you play 
it in the way it's intended to be played. So I think it's great that it's going to have that triple versatility. Yeah, and it was um, totally video game like uh, inspired. And exactly what you said. And you play Street Fighter Third Strike, and you fight the final boss, and he's a complete pain. Or any Mortal Kombat game, you play him, the final mm-hmm. boss, pain. And then if they're ever a playable character in any of the versions, you're like, this is different. You know, they're <laughs> they're obviously a little a little toned down. Yeah, for a good cause. Were, did you have any surprises in the playtesting arena that were like, that was not intended, but great? Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of little rules interactions that I didn't think of that somebody in playtest found. And then I was like, either we have to change it or I was like, I love that that happens. Let's do it. Uh, I was also just like the um, sheer amount of people that want to playtest. You know, uh, we have a lot of people that work at the company and some people know Sheen and they love to playtest War Machine. And then some people that... Because, you know, we're a game company, and a lot of people get the misconception that everybody works at a game company is a hardcore gamer, and that's definitely mm-hmm. not, right? There's people that just, like, you know, do accounting or <laughs> do things yeah. like that, that they're here to do that job. Um, and Riot Quest just has a lot of people internally playing it and loving it, and so it's cool to get the feedback because I've got the development team, I've got the more competitive-minded people internally that can you look at it that way, and then I've got people that previously hadn't really playtested with us that now are like down to playtest whenever because Riot Quest is something they can come like during lunch and play for 30 minutes and then give great feedback and and be done with it. I will say the interaction that I had not thought about that got pointed out to me in playtest and then I was like, ship it, was (laughs) Gubbin has uh, dodge, so if you, uh, or sidestep, I think was the final name of it. If you miss him, it's missed with an attack. He gets to move three spaces. It doesn't say if he gets missed by an enemy attack, just if he gets missed by an attack. He has explosion, which is on his range attack. This is when he targets a space, it targets not just that space, but all adjacent spaces as well. And it specifies this can target friendlies as well, because a core rule of War Right Quest is you can't target friendlies unless a rule says you may. Mm-hmm. So what that means is Gubbin can walk up next to someone, point blank, throw a bomb at them. Hope he hits them, but he misses himself and then trigger his own sidestep to keep moving because he's been missed by an attack. Nice. Bomb targets himself when he does that. And what it lets you do with Gubbin is Gubbin can do these crazy long runs where he runs, makes a quick pit stop, drops a grenade at someone's feet, hope he doesn't kill himself, and then keep going. (laughs) So awesome. Yeah, the first time I was like, I'm in. That's great. It's almost like the explosion launching his little ass. He's just like, whee! (laughs) Which, funny enough, uh, in the second block, we're introducing tag team characters. um, And that's going to be two heroes on one base that count as one hero. And they're going to be two classes. Uh, And the first one is Dez and Gubbin, the dynamite duo. And on a, I think it's a large base. It might be a medium, but I'll have to check. It's Dez firing Gubbin out of a mortar and he's got a hand, he's got two fistfuls of lit explosives. <laughs> and the idea is in the storyline, he saw his sister Flubbin flying around on her balloon and he got jealous that she was able to fly over the battlefield and drop bombs. So he wanted to do that, but he couldn't figure out how to build the balloon she did. So he just looks <laughs> at Dez and he's like, Will you just shoot me out of a cannon? And Dez is basically Vasquez from Aliens, and she's like, I don't care. And so she just <laughs> stuffs him in there and just poof, fires him and then uh, hopes that it goes well for the little guy. Love it. I, you know, Des is one of my characters that I have been in love with in both 
gameplay and in Riot Quest. But before we get into that, I have one last question before we bridge this gap into gameplay. So were there any hero concepts that you pitched that got shot down that you can talk about? Oh, that I can talk about. There have been a few. Oh, I can talk about. See, I'm going to say no, and the reason is, is I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> I don't like to give up. Mm. And if I've got an idea I think is really good, I will find an, a, a way to repackage it, and I will find a way to repitch it in nice. a way that hopefully works. So I will say... Of the 33 heroes in the first block and then the – I'm not going to say how many heroes we've got for the next block already approved. I've had four models that didn't make it the greenlit, and I am not done with them yet. <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything less from you, Will. I'm just – you know, I, I can be tenacious when I when I need to be. It's true. I've played War Machine with you. Oh, yeah, you know. Um, so speaking of gameplay, let's talk about what's your favorite part of the actual gameplay. Um, the 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 gameplay flow. I like that the game does not require any player, even in a four-player game, to sit there and wait for mm. a long time. Uh, for some people, they're fine with that. Some people want big, long games where they don't mind waiting 30 minutes until it is their turn to do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. Some people want a game where they are constantly in the action, and Riot Quest happens so quickly. Like you mentioned back earlier, it's just like chess when you know it, and you're just going back and forth really quickly. Mm-hmm. You're not sitting there for really more than a minute, maybe two in a four-player game if somebody takes a while, before it is your turn and you're doing something. And my goal as a game designer is to keep people engaged and make them have fun, and... I wanted a game where you were just constantly in it. The roller coaster never stopped. And I would say that's my favorite part because I feel that we did nail that. You do love roller coasters. Oh, I love roller coasters. Absolutely. And it's true. I think that there's a very dynamic, fun experience to the game every time you play. And that flow is one of the things that definitely hooked me was that it keeps going, keeps you on your toes. There's always something fun to do. Yeah. Um, so what are your top three favorite heroes to play? Uh, Leadfoot and Treads, because Ride Along is an amazing ability. Ride Along, nice. when he runs, when you spend an action night to run, you can choose a friendly hero adjacent to him, and after he's done ro- moving, you put them adjacent to where he stopped. So Super basically, helpful. yeah, they grab a ride and they, they go along, and there have been so many crazy tricks I've pulled off with, with Ride Along. Um, is bang. he a bad guy or a good guy? Leadfoot and Treads are thieves. Um, so the tank, which they've named Mad Track after nice. uh, their fallen chief, which is a little, nice. a little fluff bit, they stole that from General Brug. They oh, also stole, they stole his hat. <laughs> so General Brug stole an old Signaran captain's outfit and then called himself General Brug and assembled an army of pigs and is going hunting for his tank. So <laughs> Leadfoot and Treads fall into the lovable scamp but still straight up thieves camp so they're not really good guy or bad guy they're more like a thing that happens to our heroes they have to deal with i would imagine that that episode that you know episode 32 of of season one of the cartoon <laughs> show which is just called putting treads is about eris and the crew um 
running into Brug's pig army and him like capturing them because they think he has information about what the tank is. And they're like, no, we don't know, but we'll help you. And then they go and help. And then Boomhauer and his crew find out about the tank and they're trying to steal it from Leadfoot and Treads. And it's that kind of whole ordeal. That's so awesome. Yeah. So, so that that's one. <laughs> uh, number two would be Bamfist. Um, Empower Ooh. is an incredibly useful ability, mm-hmm. uh, which is take two action die, spin one action die on Bamfist to take two action die off a of friendly within two spaces of him. Nice. Because being able to activate a hero again in the same round, because you cleared all the dice off of him, lets you set up some really, really great opportunities and lets you control the, the chaos a little bit. Uh, and I've just had power plays, basically, uh, where I was able to score three to four victory points in a turn uh, because Bamfist had, was able to set someone up for the, the following turn and then go nuts. Nice. Uh, and then gameplay-wise, the next one, it's going to be Captain Crawtooth. Oh, yes. Telescoping Blades, which adds plus two to his range. Yes. And his melee range is five at that point. And he's got drag, and movement abilities in Riot Quest are huge. Being yes. able to move yourself or enemies around the arena is is how you you find victory in this game. So being able to launch that hook from downtown and just yank somebody is so strong. And he has snacking, and being able to self-heal is really good, too. He's a little bit tankier than he seems, so I, I really love him. He's my favorite fighter. I know everybody's all hard on the Black Bella train, but gosh, do I love Captain Crawtooth. He's so awesome. And I really like the really long fishing hook. Being able to be like, get over here. And just like, I'm sorry, you thought you were heading to this scenario, piece. No, you're coming to me. Dude, Bella's, so people love Bella, and they're like, she does so much damage. And I'm like, well, that's what she does. Yeah, that's her thing. She's a missile. She comes up and just hits accurately, but she doesn't hit multiple people like the butcher. Mm-hmm. She doesn't move people when she hits them like Crawtooth. Uh, you know, that's the idea. Those are all three fighters. Oh, yeah, have, yeah are right. so clutch. Have every fighter do something different. And to be honest, she's sort of the vanilla fighter. Like she runs up and just murders Black the shit. Yeah. Um, and when those wormhole comes, those wormholes come out. Putting telescoping blades on a crawtooth and having him throw the hook out of one wormhole. <laughs> so you get to count five spaces. So you're like, okay, I count one to the first wormhole, two to the second wormhole, then three away at somebody, and those wormholes are already five spaces apart, and then I yank someone through one. It's just so epic. You're just like, hey, you across the board over in Narnia, how about I just pull you over here? Yeah, I'm sorry. There's no straight line about this. Like, you thought you were safe back here. Guess what? Yeah. yeah I'm going to fish your ass in. And then you put the death trap on the board and it's running around killing people and he's yanking people <laughs> to do it. It's so good. Awesome. I love to set him in the middle of the board and just be like, who wants to do anything in this game? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you get close, I'm snatching your ass. Yeah, good luck. Uh, so what five-man crew would you recommend a new player looking at the line and wondering what to play? Because I think we talked about like some basic and advanced tactics all in your first three favorite heroes. <laughs> So for a new crew, I'd say get a starter. The starters are balanced for new nice. crew, for new players. They they those five heroes and the five gear cards you get in the starter. I I have other heroes and other gear cards designed at that point, and we choose who goes in the starter for the new player experience. I agree with that. My my recommendation to a new player is one of the modes you can play of Riot Quest is called Adventuring Party, and that is where your crew. It's, it, there's different formats, which basically says how many models are on your final mm-hmm. crew. An inventory party is one of each class. 
So if you buy yourself a starter and then you buy one of the class you don't have, which for the current story would be buy yourself a fighter, you have an adventuring party and you are good to play. Nice. Uh, and then you can just add models as you want and then replace the models in your starter as you go. I would 100% agree with that. Um, it's really easy to want to be like, ooh, I like this guy and I like that guy. But the box is such value too. Like there's so much in there for what you get. You're going to want it to be able to play. And even just having like the extra dice and stuff is handy. Like there's nothing bad in that box. And you're paying $10 a model, right? Basically, Not, yeah. You ignore the map, the rules, the dice, the tokens. It's a $50 box with five models in it. So you're paying $10 a model and getting a bunch of stuff. It's just, it's super good value. Yeah. I was actually surprised when I opened it up. I was like, how are they affording to put this box together? This looks crazy. Mm -hmm. Like value. Um, so what five man crew would you recommend an experienced player who's got that box and they're looking to expand? Where do you, where do you think they should go? Uh, again, if you're looking to expand, figure out what format you want to play the most. If it has adventuring party, if it's spec ops, if it's evicted, you know, you can go find the throwdown organized play doc online and it's got the different formats in it. So vanilla is just you pick five to ten heroes, whatever mm -hmm. you want. Adventuring party has proven to be by far the most popular amongst the community, which is one of each class. Agreed. Spec ops is your you pick two classes and your heroes can only be from those classes. And that's a really you're more <laughs> you're more testing out the combos. You're like, what are gunners and specialists like? And what are fighters and rogues like? You know? Yeah. Uh, Things like that. I mean, a lot of people gravitate towards Gunner Scout as their two, but that's not always the best combo. Uh, and Evicted is the ban format, where you have to have seven heroes, and then before the game begins, your opponent, you each ban two heroes from each. Neat. I recommend Adventuring Party, and figure out what kind of crew you want to build. Figure out, do you want to be tanky? Do you want a lot of movement tricks? Do you want a lot of guns? Uh, or you want to focusing heavy on just scoring bounties and not really attacking the enemy, then pick the heroes that do that. And even if you focus heavy on guns, you can still, you know, even though you've got to take a fighter, you can still take fighters that will will complement you in in the right way. And mm -hmm. you, you want, Captain Crawtooth is a great fighter if you're playing gun heavy because he lets you drag people into the ranges of your people that shoot so that they can spend less dice on moving and attacking and more on just attacking with your gunner having aim and things like that. Or you can drag him into a scout's spotter range to have the def debuff for other people to shoot him and things like that. So pick pick a very simple theme and build to it. I love the flexibility of the characters, too. Like, you can have one of your defenders throw on, what is it, the fell, the fell charm that gives them charge? Yeah, no, the Shard of Wrathrock. That one. Shard yeah, of Wrathrock. The Fell Charm lets them attack twice with melee in each turn, which can be brutal on some people. Yeah, why not both? I mean, you can literally be like, okay, um, Sir Dreyfus, you're now my fighter. Yeah. Um, you, and well, Boomheller, too. Like, he's surprisingly tanky for a dude with a gun. Like, yes. that was not what I expected out of him when I first played him. I was like, okay, dude with a gun probably doesn't have great stats. Oh, my God, he's a tank, too. <laughs> yep. Um, so there, I, you know, <clears throat> it's easy to want to build for theme. It's easy to want to build for one of these formats. Um, I think this is easily a game too. You can just be like, I like these guys. I'm going to play them all. And there's no reason you can't. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are your favorite synergies or interactions between heroes? Anytime that somebody has a movement trick that lets someone else get set up for something badass, And this is like I mentioned before with Leadfoot and Trent having ride along, um, with 
if, you know, crosstooth dragging people. Anytime that was you're playing, you think something's out of position or you think that something isn't a threat and then someone else's ability enables a hero to get in there and suddenly do the job. Similarly, anytime that somebody is just overpowering and bullying a part of the board and you can just yeet them away. Like if you put the dematerializer on somebody, it says when you shoot somebody, you get to teleport them to a random spawn gate. Yeah. So I've had like Boomhowler with the Echo Displacer. So that's Boomhowler with cover and stamina four, just wrecking face. And then I just have like Harlow come walk up with the dematerializer and be like, nope, my favorite interaction with the dematerializer is <laughs> put it on Govan. Because the explosion hits everybody and the dematerializer yeah. works on everybody. So you walk up to a clump of people and you're like, everybody, scatter. And you just teleport everyone to different spawn gates. Everybody, fuck off. If you didn't die. It's it's repositioning the board is one of my favorite synergies and anybody who enables that. I agree. I think that's one of the neatest things about the game is that, you know, even though you're not moving super far sometimes, there's, there's just so much shenanigans to get around. And, like, also that almost out-of-activation movement you can create. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And with the average speed in the game being four, which is very intentional, like all the ranges and the speeds of all the characters are super intentional. I had to to tweak those numbers a lot in the early development to make the ranges and the movement interactivity of the game be right. Mm. And we added the layer of the movement shenanigans on top of that. It just added so much value to them because often your movement shenanigans will move you almost as far as your normal run will. Yeah. Uh, and being able to double up is a huge effect in this game. So we talked a little bit about the telescoping arm already. Um, yeah. What do you reach for when you're picking gear? I reach for – well, it depends on what my team theme is. If okay. I'm gun heavy, I'm going to reach for bang rounds, dematerializer, things like that. If I'm going tank heavy, I'm getting dire ale. I'm getting transmutation elixir. Uh, to be able to swap a damaged tank out with a fresh tank on the bench to basically undo my opponent's work. Um, if I'm going melee heavy, fell charm shot of wrath rock, telescoping blades, but I always make sure no matter what hand I build and what theme I build, I always have one movement enhancer, whether that's hyper spring boots for just straight up extra speed or the translocator to teleport to a random spawn gate when I start my run. Mm. Uh, so I can get people, uh, if someone's stuck in a corner, I can get them out. And then I almost always add something that lets me mess with my opponent in some way. Um, in the stream we did yesterday, I used portable crane on Helga, which says you get to grab anyone within four spaces and put them next to that hero. So I had Helga do a drive-by on Gurglepox, and she was too far. And then <laughs> the enemy Eris was doing was running away with the bomb to go plant it. So I did a drive-by on Gurglepox, and then I just craned Eris off the, the gangplank and stuck her next to Helga, like way out of position for where she wanted to be. And just be nice. like, now nah, you got to deal with me, girl. What's up? Uh, <laughs> So, I, yeah, always something movement, something utility, and then my other cards are usually focused in on what I'm trying to do. Mm. Nice. Are there any heroes or gear you find to be just absolute auto-includes for you, even if it's not, like, because it's the super bestest thing, but because of the affinity of how you play or approach playing or just, like, the idea of the model? I, I am – I've said them a few times, but – I, I love Leadfoot and Treads too damn much. <laughs> I've just had so many good plays with Ride Along. Like, it just does so much for me. Uh, the gear I find myself reaching for the most is probably Hyperspring Boots. 
Mm. I think a flat speed buff in, is is a real core item. Um, and there are other ones that you can use to, to different and sometimes greater effects. But And Hyperspring can backfire. Hyperspring can kill. Yes. You know? I have lost Gubbin that way. Yeah. Sometimes you just, you just lose them. But I have like, set up epic turns and been like, all right, Gubbin, go. No, Gubbin, no. <laughs> He just blows up and dies. Yeah. Like on Flogwog, if I'm or Flogwog, sorry. Uh, uh, if you're if you're trying to, because he can move, leap, and then rate a treasure chest three spaces away, and you put Hyperspring. Like Hyperspring is always so good. Mm. So that that's that's uh, I, I love that little piece of gear. And for for the lols, it's Dematerializer. Dematerializer does nonsense. And you know what people don't use enough? The one that I'm gonna say is criminally underrated is there's two medicinal stew which i'll talk about later when we talk about mm. uh, a, a strategy to try out and uh but uh my brain just went dead for a second uh transmutation elixir because mm. uh, transmutation elixir lets you just swap a character into the activation for any character on your bench so if you've got someone who's almost dead you know, they've, they've taken almost all their health. You just pop them back to the bench just to get rid of them. Or if someone expected that to be your gubbin, and all of a sudden your gubbin turns into your boom howler, you just <laughs> throw them off completely. Like, that card lets you do so much wacky stuff. I love it. I really do. Especially swapping in, like, a defender to someone that needs it where you're like, okay, right now this situation needs you. Like, that, it, that's just clutch. That can be great for anybody. When Widget turns into Black Bella, and you're like, wait a second, I wasn't ready for this. You know, like, <laughs> I'm going the wrong direction. Yeah. It's it's just super powerful. Definitely. So when you play, do you grind for gear? Do you go for the throw? Do you try to earn points? Depends on the game, and that's the thing. I, I react to what is happening. Um, I've never in the... Well over, oh, I don't even think how many games Riot Quest I played now, including internal playtests. It's I'm I'm gonna say hundreds, and I don't mean that hyperbolically. Mm. Uh, in the hundreds of games of Riot Quest, I have never seen anyone win off just scrap cards. Agreed. Never. And I don't think you can play to just kill. I think killing can be a major part of your your strategy to supplement your bounties, but you have to play the bounties, otherwise you're going to lose. So me. You know, if I if I want to grind for gear, maybe I never get a treasure chest in a good spot to get one. So that that strategy goes out. And maybe like the bounties are are not great, and I'll get more points knocking people out. So I think you you are served best by not going into a game of Riot Quest saying this is how I'm going to win this game. More this is what my crew is good at. Now let me react. That's why I talk about building a theme. Mm-hmm. This is what my crew does. Now let me play around what's happening. I agree. You know, playing it, and I've, I'm very particular about games when I play them, I usually try to identify what's the best or most correct way to win and focus on, like, can I play that way in the most extreme possible? And it's the competitive side of me. I cannot help it. And playing Riot Quest, it just doesn't exist so far. Like, there's just, you can do all three. All three are options and sometimes not options. And so, like you said, not only is adapting important, but there's not a correct like, this is just going to win you the game every time you play it. You have to go down and sit and say, what is this fresh hell I am getting into this game? And that's all by design. That was part of the, the design Bible that Matt handed me, is, is this what the game was supposed to do? Because we don't want a game that you can solve. 
because there's, there's enough chaos that the game is by its nature unsolvable. I like it. Um, so are there any strategies or tactics you would encourage a new player to try out? Yeah, absolutely. The one that I don't see a lot of people do, there's two in particular. If you're new to the game, you read the rules and you understand how attacking and bounties and everything work. Two things that can be a little bit difficult for people to wrap their heads around. One is bouncing gear. So each character can only have one piece of gear on them. When they get knocked out, that gear breaks and goes in your discard pile. But you can put a piece of gear on a character that already has gear, and it bounces the gear that was on them back to your hand to be used later. So Medicinal Stew is the card that comes with Crawtooth. It costs one loot, and its rule says if the character would be knocked out instead of going to the cooler, they go right back to your bench to be respawned. Mm-hmm. That's not the strength of that card. The strength of that card is that it costs one. It's the only one cost piece of loot, uh, gear in the game. And what it means is you've got the de- you've got bang rounds on Harlow and Harlow's already gone. And you really need to put the bang rounds on Gubbin to go knock someone out and win the game. You've got four loot. You spend one, you medicinal stew on Harlow, you bounce the bang rounds to your hand, you spend three, you drop the bang rounds on Gubbin, Gubbin goes. Nice. You can also, when you have a lot of loot, because you can play as many loot cards in a turn as you have loot for, you can do something like, Bella, I equip the Hyperspring Boots. She runs, she goes, let's say, eight to get in melee with somebody she needs to be. I Medicinal Stew. I bounce the Hyperspring Boots back uh, so that I can then, on my following turn, put them on another character I, I need them to be on, right? Or you can do something like, she Hyperspring Boots, don't even medicinal stew. She runs over there, and then you equip a Fell Charm to her. So now that she's there, she's <laughs> right? Gear bouncing will win you games. Um, and evacuating is the other part, which is at the end of each round, after everyone's mm-hmm. on the dice, if you have an undamaged character on the center space or adjacent to the center space, each player can evacuate with one character, which lets you pull them off and just put them back on your bench. Um, this is great for when you have a character in there that the current bounty conditions and the current win conditions, you're like, they're just not helping me. But this other person over on my bench really, really would. And I didn't bring a transmutation elixir to do the quick fix. So evacuation will let me have a chance to spawn in this other hero. So master those two. Uh, master the, the gear bounce, master evacuation, and learn when they will help you win. Because they can be the little itty bitty bit you need to, to get the victory. I agree. Evacuation can be so clutch. It's like having a sideboard mid-game where you're just like, hmm, I need to reach deep into this bag of tricks. What do yeah. I have? Yeah, if there's like a if there's a bounty out that fighters get a bonus on in like a fighter chest and, you know, Butcher's sitting on the sideline and you're like, well, no one's going to kill my characters. It's your only way to really get him in there. Hmm. So um, now we've laid out the basics. Those are probably the two skills you want to like try to master. Are there any strategies, tactics, or skills you would encourage an experienced player to start focusing on? Whew. If you're an experienced player, the next obstacle, the next, the next puzzle, I want to say obstacle, the next puzzle to start figuring out is all these new gear cards that are coming out that put models into play. It started with the grind ball and the pillar, and then the gear expansion. Mm-hmm the turret, the surgery table, and all that stuff. The wormholes are going to break your brain. <laughs> Just get ready for what they do. Like, when you play with them the first time, the opportunities on the board open up in super weird ways. But the other gear models, the the gobbler, the pillar, all that stuff, those all count as barrier spaces. They count like a treasure, a treasure beacon or a spawn gate, which means that you can't stop on them and you can't move through them. Mm. Um, so... When you're playing on maps, especially if you're playing on Hull Grinder or Temple Concord that has choke points, 
using gear models to run up and just like drop the pillar in the middle of a gangplank and then run off. Nice. You are now giving a new tool in Riot Quest. And this thing about Riot Quest is it's always evolving. The newest mm-hmm. evolution is the ability to create roadblocks and try and section people off from the board and them having to overcome them. And for your experienced players, you're going to want to learn how to master that pretty quickly because it will change your games based on what Putting a turret on the gangplank seems rude. Oh, there's a new one called the decoy gate. It lets you put a gate down. It's a barrier space. Uh, People can rig it to destroy it. But what it does is when it's in play, when any hero spawns, you don't roll a die. They just go adjacent to the fake gate. (laughs) And you can do some crazy stuff with this. You can be like, I'm going to put it in the middle of the board because you want all the chaos to be there. Or you can run into a corner and just drop it in a corner and be like, okay, my team is going to run over here and be doing this stuff, but everyone else that shows up is going to have to take a turn or two to run over to the action because I dropped it in Narnia. <laughs> That's adorable. Yeah. Um, so let's transition to War Machine. Crisis on Infinite Immigrants. There's multiple timelines. We've got all the universe at our fingertips. Yeah. Um, what's been the most difficult thing about balancing these models across two games? That's a lot of work. Um, <laughs> Who would have known? It requires a lot of switching brain gears from the the, – because the games couldn't be more different, right? And so I make a model. I have to write its Riot Quest rules and everything it does and then come – and then write its War Machine rules and everything it does. And they're just – they are on separate ends of a yard. You know, War Machine is just this this deep, strategic, competitive, crunchy game. And Riot Quest is this – very quick casual board game and you want when somebody buys the one model if they're playing both games that there is a a a connection in the experience they feel somewhat similar Mm -hmm. so you know boom holler in riot quest can shoot a bunch and makes people hit better with his fell call and he's kind of tanky but you look at Boomhauer solo artist over in War Machine where he's you know giving reposition and stuff, and but he still has a decent gun, and you just got to find that connection between the two of them. Then you got to test it in Riot Quest and all the interactions with all the gear cards and all the heroes and all the crews, and then in War Machine you got to test it against the 1,200 other things that exist in the game. Only 1,200 seems yeah, seems well, easy. Only 1,200, and uh, I would say the, the the most difficult part is definitely just the the time requirement to make sure that you get it right and then you create something compelling and fun that people will look at and go i want this and in war machine specifically i'm not looking to design models that are pushing the the power creep i think power creep you know not a good thing i don't want every riot quest model that comes out people like well i have to own this it's the best thing ever because that's that's bad but you want things to people go that's interesting that's fun that's good and I could see running that in a list. So you've got ones that are obvious, like Harlow in War Machine, mm-hmm. the gun archon, as we like to call <laughs> He just lays waste to stuff, right? Yeah. But then you look at Leadfoot and Treads and the pig tanks, and some some troll players are going to run this in their crew company. It definitely has a use. There's very durable solos, well, they're probably some of the most durable solos in trolls, to sit on a flag. And then together as a 17-point package with certain casters, they can unleash a ton of damage if you can knock down enemies 
Uh, and they've also got, you know, bulldoze. They've got the scenario uh, play they can do to push people out of zones. So that's interesting. But is it like the best thing for trolls ever? Is it like, oh, redefining of the entire faction? No, of course not. You know, that one model shouldn't be. Um, well, and I think you hit the nail on the head with like mentioning some of the roles, right? Because you're able to fill some interesting roles within the faction. Having those little tanks that can sit on a flag and be durable, but also contribute to the fight. Like when they need to, they're like ready to go. Yeah. Um, I think that's really clutch. I, I think at some point you had talked about um, doing this for the um, Cephalix and making their caster attachment. Yeah, yeah. When we were doing Dr. Stygius, it was absolutely like this. That was something they hadn't had forever. And then when I was designing him, I was making his rules. And I was like, okay, he's going to be a caster attachment. I want to have a magic ability. I want him to have different things. And one of the first rules I wrote on him was get the juices flowing. And I was like, <laughs> they don't have a straight up just focus efficiency kind of thing they don't have yeah. a guy that walks up and i was like and with the way that they're all focused batteries they don't power up but they do hold their focus mm-hmm. you know what can we do here and just give all the monstrosities within five a focus and super awesome. simple but super good and you know is stygious and then also what he does in cricks right because he can be a caster attachment in cricks and i wanted him to be if you chose him as your merc slot over things like the hermit Mm-hmm. I wanted him to be worth it. And the way that that was, was if he's going to be one of the, the, the best doctors of the Cephalix, don't give him a random heal. Don't give him heal D6 plus one or whatever. Just give him heal five. Just straight up, he heals five. He's a master surgeon. Yeah, he's a master surgeon. So now he's Scar One's best friend, right? Oh, yeah. If you're playing Dark Host Scar One, you, you might consider giving up another Merc slot to take Stygius because he is a better Scarlock for you than a Scarlock, but at the cost of being one of your merc slots i think that's awesome i'm really excited about that aspect specifically a design like that was the one thing before i ever touched riot quest that like drew me into the concept of the game is that you know within the confines of your game and your creativity you're also able to look at the greater game of war machine and go Let's give them something compelling. Let's give them something interesting that they can use. But let's also make it so that way this is an option they have to consider. It's not just like, oh, well, this is my next auto-include. Let me go pick it up. Yeah. And um, as long as the models in RiotQuest can work for a War Machine, they will. Eventually, RiotQuest will get some stuff. Like the gear expansion, none of those, that has no rules for War Machine. And eventually, there may be models, heroes, that come mm-hmm. up from RiotQuest that don't work for War Machine because we may do some really – Really, really weird stuff. <laughs> Would not have an analog. Yeah, it won't have a place to... Makes sense. Yeah. So what are your top three heroes that you like to use in War Machine? Uh, Captain Crawtooth in my Maylock lists. Because really? No Interesting. Yeah, No Sleeping on the Job, Gatorman. Is oh, yeah. Great. Um, I enjoy Harlow. Uh, the gun archon, as I like to call him, the the dude has two guns, rate of fire two, and just puts out some of the just incredibly powerful shots. Does work. And number three is probably going to be. I'm gonna go with things that are released right now. Only things that are released. <laughs> oh so, well, that's. I mean, you don't have to, but if. You oh, okay. If that's the, if that's the case, then it's Helga two and Lord Azazello. Um, the two new Pharaoh Warlocks are, I'll put them together, and Fiora, Fiora 4. I will group all of those new casters into one big grouping and say that they're all about, because I play Minions, I play Protectorate, and 
Though those are all just a blast to play. So solo wise, it's it's Crosstooth Harlow, and then category three, I'll cheat and just say the casters. <laughs> I'll I'll take that. I am really excited about Fiora Four. I cannot contain my excitement about Fiora Four. There is no world in which I'm not going to play her in both Riot Quest and War Machine. Like Fiora in general is one of my favorite characters. Flame Saw. Oh, oh yeah. She's so uh I'll give you a spoiler. Okay. Uh, she has a mechanic where every turn she gets an anger token. Ooh. These never go away. There's no way to get rid of them. Um this mechanic is balanced by the fact that most games of War Machine don't last more than ten rounds and that steamroller only lasts seven. Mm-hmm. She gets plus one strength for every anger token on her. Just nice. Pure. So if you play twenty rounds, She's plus 20 strength. Plus uh, 7 strength is significant. And if you're like, on this turn, I kill what I touch. She has two rules that tie into this. One is, when she has 5 anger tokens, she gains plus 2 focus for the rest of the game. Nice! So, mid towards, towards the end of the game, her control area and her focus just jump up. Yeah. <laughs> That's her heating up and basically going supernova. And then... She has a rule called spite that says whenever anyone causes an upkeep in her control area to expire, they take a number of damage equal to how many anger tokens she has. <laughs> so, and she has some really good upkeep. So later on, when you purify or something like that, you might just be taking five for doing mm. that or six or seven. Um, so on top of that, she's she's got a lot of really powerful stuff. I mean, I think the thing that people are going to freak out when they see first uh, is or so her feet is basically a version of Blazing Effigy that all mm-hmm. of her. If anyone knows Blazing Effigy from Fiora One, imagine if all the Warjacks in her battle group Blazing Effigy simultaneously. Um, and then people are like, "Well, there better be something that helps her run a bunch of jacks." Well, she's got <laughs> martial aggressive, which says all of her jacks run and charge for free. In yeah. addition, to other things. So you have this caster that has a bunch of really good spells, decent melee output, who is constantly getting stronger as the game goes. I mean, even five turns into the game, she's plus five strength. It's a big deal. Um, and then her focus jumps up, and then when you start picking off her upkeeps, you start paying for it hard later mm-hmm. on. So, like I said, she's Vengeance the caster, and the more angry she gets, the more you suffer for it. Yeah, field martial aggressive, and... Protectorate is huge. Like the the extra free charge it, in and of itself changes the math on a lot of things. So that's really awesome. And so Blazing Effigy is it like a PAL 14 or is it PAL 12? Uh, I think it's actually PAL 13, and it catches everyone on fire. Yes. So this is actually really interesting. I've been playing more with the um, Castigator and with. The, there's so many things right now that it's like really difficult to hit, or even like with Fiona, like dropping in an extra die to hit and damage can really suck. When you're like, hmm, well, what if I just auto hit you? I'm gonna deal some damage and I'm gonna set us all on fire. And then when your feet's gone, you're gonna burn. It's there's so much synergy with the Archons. I just absolutely love it. So having that kind of feat could be really clutch in some of the matchups out right now. And Fiora going Supernova Endgame? Oh, I'm sorry. Did your blockader finally de- decide to dedicate? Fiora's going to kill it. Yeah. Especially if Fiora had some way to make everyone lose immunity fire and that fires didn't go out. Anti-immunity. Yeah, let's just say Fiora's going to be a, a big a big ball of hurt when she shows up. 
I love it. I love it. So I'm going to answer my own question before we uh, peel out of this section because I think that I have two heroes that I use a lot in War Machine uh, right now, and I highly encourage people to take a moment. I know you only get one Merc slot, and it is real hard to be like, mm, anything other than Hermit. Sure. Um, but there are so many good synergies. It's just like in Riot Quest when you have to build your crew and say, what do I want them to do? What's my theme? You know, list building is the same in War Machine. You have to have a goal. And there are two heroes that I feel really solidify goals for me and my Menoth army. Um, I really like Dez. Dez having a momentum gun has just been clutch. And she's got a boosting mechanic, so she can do it reliably. Um, those are two things. Like Consistency on a model is important. And it's consistency is built. her consistency is built into a defensive tech. I move up. I dig in. I get a token. Come at me, bro. Yeah. Um, but I have found she is like the Judicator's best friend. Like, just walk up with Judy, dig in in front of it. If you come close, bring your heavy on over. I'm going to thump it, knock it down, and the Judicator's going to light it up with rockets. Um, I really like her paired up with Sevy 1 as well, because, uh, or Sevy 0 as well, because Sevy 0, I'll run like a pair of Redeemers on. And like, Rate of Fire 3 is surprising on those things. And when you're pumping out 6 PAL 15s at range 16, and then like, you have his. Um, little mini move and all the other things that you can do to increase that threat range. If you can just have Dez walk up and mark a target and knock it down, they will obliterate obliterate that target. Absolutely. Um, so she's been consistent and reliable, which is something I look for when I look for competitive models. Is I want something I know is going to do its job time in and time out. Um, and that is actually one of the reasons I really like the second model. The reason I got into War, a Riot Quest was just because of Gorman the Mad. Mm-hmm. Um, I play a lot of Durst, and in, in some other places I've also used them in, like, Exemplar Interdiction and stuff. But having a weakened spray on a stick is just clutch. It's just like, oh, more Arm 21, Jack? How about Arm 23? It's one of the easiest ways to be like, oh, I've got an avatar here. I'm going to also add this extra layer. He's just going to follow me around. He's going to be a mat buff when I need it. He's going to be a you know, uh, strength debuff for you when you walk in. And then for Durst, I play him a lot in the range matchup. So having a stealth solo who can go sit on flags and wait until he needs to be relevant is really key. Yeah. Um, and he's also my favorite character in Riot Quest itself. So as a denial player in Menoth, I like to be able to say no. And him being able to strip gear off characters is it's, my favorite interaction, period. So he's he's part of my main crew. My crew that I go play, my general everyday go-in-the-game-store crew, is Leadfoot and Treads, Captain Crawtooth, James, Bamfist, Gorman, and Harlow. And yeah, our crew is pretty similar. Yeah, dude. I Gorman, the baseline strip is amazing in the in Riot Quest. Like it's so powerful. I have not found a game yet where I didn't use it. Where I'm just like, this is a this is a useless ability. Like every game, I'm like, how can I strip some gear? Yeah, it's it's so powerful, especially when somebody buys one of the really strong ones, like a, a Fell Charm or the Homing Beacon. They just spent four or five loot to drop like a mega piece down, and you walk up and you're like, boop, and it's just gone. <laughs> like, Sorry, bro. Yeah, or when you know that, like, they're building up for this specific interaction, like, they got the boots, and they're like, all right, I'm going to get all the way over here, and then I'm going to crowd around this, and I'm going to... No, you're not. (laughs) Just stay over here and fuck with Gorman. The other really disruptive piece you might want to run is when they come out the four horsey mans, uh, they're a fighter, and their melee ability is when they hit someone, 
after the, the hack is done, the, that player that controlled the hero that got hit has to discard a gear card from their hand at random. Mm. Uh, and you can just throw people completely off when, like, I don't know, first turn of the game, you walk over and you're like, hey, I hit you for one. Oh, you discarded your, your boots. Cheers. <laughs> like, those so are just... cherry. Yeah. I love it. And, you know, I have to say, like, it might piss some other people off, but that is really, like, the heart of what Gorman is all about. Since, like, Gorman has ever been Gorman. You want to get real mad at one solo? Get mad at Gorman. I mean, since day one, Mark one, just blinding people and ruining their day. <laughs> exactly. I just, it's such, it, you, so, when they originally, when, when Gorman the Mad spoiled, I was like, this is actually not something I'm, impressed with why would you make another gorman gorman one is already so good like he's already so like clutch what would why would you ever take another gorman over this gorman and then you start to look at him and you manage to capture the spirit of who and what gorman is and give you a very different option that just doesn't compete yep i love it that was the intent and I, i feel pretty good about where we where we ended up so now that we know where we ended up let's talk about the way ahead what's next well, I mean, for Riot Quest, what's next is you're going to see the the rest of the Mayhem block finish with the boss fight coming up later in the summer. That'll go right into the first Wintertime Wasteland uh, release, which will be the new starter at Gen Con. And then that goes on through the rest of the block until the following Gen Con. So tons of new heroes, new maps, new expansions. Uh, for War Machine, right now we're finishing up all the Convergence stuff. Then we've got a few surprises, like, you know, Ashley. Three, who's not really tied to a specific release. She's just kind of coming out. And then I wrote a big insider recently where I announced that we're going to have new Legion and new troll stuff coming. (laughs) And it's, it's some really exciting stuff. And then you have a big, big uh, ton of monster apocalypse, new campaign mode, uh, new co-op modes, tons of new monsters and units, just a, a wealth of really badass mod pock stuff coming. And then, you know, Warcaster. Warcast yes! Right oh, gosh, I'm on the edge of my seat. So I can't say anything yet until everything gets said is the best way to put it. <laughs> uh, but I think that it won't be too much longer for people to wait. And I'm, we're all very excited to see what people think. And I'm just excited to see what people see when they see the way the game looks. Because I think anyone who's expecting Space Signar and Space Kador, <laughs> which I hope no one is. I hope no one's expecting to see, like, you know, a space man of war, like a man of war with steam powered yeah. uh, astronaut suit. Uh, it is so vastly different sci-fi than you are expecting. I'm really excited. Um, I know that when Warcaster was announced, I was like, but I'm already playing War Machine. But the more I think about it, the more excited I am for a new game, a new opportunity for Privateer Press to just be creative. You guys are one of the most creative uh, teams I've ever come across, and it's why I'm such a diehard fan of your games. You just, you never fail to surprise me at how deep you're willing to go to give the fans something they want while also providing something really interesting and thought-provoking. So uh, I already reached out to Jeff, and Jeff, I said, hey, you know, when um, you guys release 
Warcaster, I'd love to just do a fluff dive with Matt Wilson and talk about the universe and talk about what it is. And um, right. I'd love to have you back too, just to talk about anything. I mean, it, when the Legion stuff comes out for Riot Quest, I yeah, was sure. really surprised that it was a nuclear winner. I just thought, okay, we're going to get like some troll stuff. And then you're like, oh no, it's, it's nuclear winner. I'm like, this is a whole new spin on this. Yeah. So um, have you on Blight Makes Right? And like, let's talk about the Legion stuff. Have you come back here? We can talk about nuclear winner and how cool it is. I'm, I'm uh, we can talk about Warcaster. We can. I'd love to have you guys on one day and talk about Monpok and just do a deep dive because, like, I've I played Monpok when it still came with boxes with little clear guys in it sometimes and. Oh uh, yeah. The first edition. The first edition. Yeah. So seeing it come back is really exciting for me, and I I would just love to talk about it. So, uh, is there anything you want to talk about before we close up? No, I think we we covered a lot of good stuff, and you know just. For everybody out there who's listening that you're a fan of, just there's a lot of great stuff coming for whatever game you play this year. So stay tuned, you know, keep an eye out. And if you ever have any questions or want to talk, I, I watch the streams we do uh, and join any of the Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. Almost all the dev team, a lot of the employees here, we hang out in the RiotQuest Facebook group, the Monpoc Facebook group, the War Machine Facebook group, and then there's the regular Privateer Press streams. Like we try to be as approachable as we can be because I came from the community. I was a press mm-hmm. before I ever joined the company 10 years ago. Uh, I have always been tied to the community and I get excited along the same as everyone else about, about Definitely. stuff. We just love that interaction. So if you want to hear more of my stupid voice, say dumb words, uh, or <laughs> you want to hear Oz's much more wiser voice, say smart things. Uh, there are ways to do that. Um, and as a representative of the community for a long time and a former press ganger, I also want to say, please be nice to my friends. <laughs> for the love of God, you guys are such trolls. I love the community, and I have been deep, deep in making it a better place for everybody because I love it so much. But when they're on there, like, bugging them for spoilers for two hours when obviously, like, you're in the conversation and they have replied and there are no spoilers give it a break. Like, just let it go. There's so much, they plan things exactly like this or for the opportunity to get on. And you're really good about this. You'll go on and say, Hey guys, here's what's next. Surprise. And it is constant and it's flowing and you keep us updated. So give them the opportunity to interact. Cause if we bog them down and we're mean to them, they're not going to do that. And there, I have played a lot of games over the years and I have been a part of a lot of communities and none of them is as good as this one. So oh, help you. push the fo- the community up and you guys are part of the community. I think some of the community in general has this like me versus you mentality. I, the consumer, you, the creator. And Privateer Press has almost never been that. You guys have always been a part of your own community. Even Matt Wilson will just come down and be like, let's let's talk about things. Here's what I'm doing. I'm each at a con. Like, I have always appreciated that each of the Privateer Press members are passionate about what they do so much that they're willing to bog themselves down with just arguing with nerds. Like, they're like, let's discuss it. And then that's important because being a... Um, part of your own community means that it's not a us versus you. We're all in this together. And it you guys are just as invested in the success and failure of the community as we are. So we appreciate it. Thank you very much for saying all that. Well, thank you for your time, Will. I really appreciate having you on uh, Field of Fire. Thank you, listeners, for listening to us ramble for about an hour. Um, yeah. Tune in for more shenanigans. Later on. <laughs>